Hey, good morning. My name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here. And over the last few weeks, we've actually been in the sermon series in the book of James. And the book of James was a letter written to the early church by one of the early Christian leaders named James, who also happened to be the brother of Jesus. Now, we're actually taking a hiatus uh, from that sermon series so that we can explore during this season um, throughout the world, there's a season that we call Lent. Lent is this season that leads to the journey towards the cross. For us as Christians, what this means is Jesus, who's the central figure of our faith, dies dies on Good Friday, but he resurrects from the grave on Easter Sunday, which is a time of celebration for us. So throughout the Christian calendar that begins with Ash Wednesday this past week, uh, there's this po- period of 40 days whereby people will give up things. So they'll fast from things, uh, fast from things like chocolate or sweets or from red meat or things like that in order to Uh, give more attention on Jesus and following Jesus. So the idea of fasting then and the idea of renouncing some of these things is basically so that Jesus can become the center of our faith as we go in this journey of this Lenten season. Uh, Now, this whole invitation of Lent or this idea of a journey is really why over the next few weeks in our sermon series, we're going to be talking about uh, different journeys that we see throughout the scriptures, journeys that hopefully point us more closely to the person of Jesus. And so today, the passage that was just read for us was actually Jesus' journey to the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And it comes to us in the gospel account in Matthew, which is a historical account of Jesus. Now, what's so fascinating about this account is look at how it begins in this passage. As Matthew recounts, um, this is what happens. It says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, you can see that I underlined this phrase, led by the spirit. Can I hear you say led by the spirit? Now, isn't that interesting? Because here's what we believe about who Jesus is. We believe that Jesus, we believe there's one God and yet three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. God the Son is Jesus. And so Jesus, who's fully man and fully God, it's fascinating that it says that Jesus was actually led um, by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, there's a part of me that's kind of like, this is Jesus, y'all. Why in the world is Jesus? Of all the people that need to be led, it's not Jesus. In fact, Jesus should be the one doing the leading. I mean, that's how I think. And I don't know about you, but I'm kind of like, Jesus, why are you being led by the Spirit, by God the Spirit? But moreover, why are you being led by the Spirit into the wilderness? That does not sound like fun. Uh, if anything, if I'm Jesus, I don't want it first. I don't want to be led. Secondly, if I'm going to be led anywhere, I'm going to be led to Magnolia's Bakery to try the bread pudding. Like, that's where I want to be led. But to the wilderness... To be tempted by the devil? Like, no, thank you. I don't want that and I don't need that. (laughs) But this whole invitation is so stunning because here Jesus is, he's willing to be led by the spirit into the wilderness. Now the wilderness or the desert is a theme throughout the scriptures. And so Jesus is being led to someplace where many of us would not want to go. I mean, I know I don't want to go into the wilderness. And yet Jesus is somehow surrendered into saying, I'm going to go into the wilderness. Now I realize some of you, you're like, These words like spirit and devil, what in the world are we talking about? This is a church that believes in all this immaterial stuff. Well, here's the thing. Yes, as Christians, we do believe in the existence of an immaterial world. In fact, a supernatural world. Uh, This idea of a devil and the idea of forces that are even beyond the material universe Um, I I realize that some of you might be like, I'm a hyper-rationalistic person. I don't believe in these kinds of things. Well, most people, to some degree, even in our city, as well as mostly around the world, things like superstitions, 
Uh, like when I'm going across the crosswalk, I'm not going to step on any of the white lines uh, or things like that, or just different ways of like the night before a test, I'm going to go to bed every morning at th- or yeah, every night at this time or something like that. Um, this idea of a superstitious kind of supernatural kind of world, most of the world actually does believe in that. Now, I'm not simply saying that's the only argument for why you should believe in this. I'm simply saying for uh, the purposes of this story, Christians do believe that there's this immaterial universe universe that exists, including a devil. Now, I realize uh, that's the last I'm going to say about that right now. If you'd like to find out more, come to our Alpha Dinner this Tuesday. We'd love to have discussions about what you believe and how and why you believe in what you believe. Now, here's the thing. So in this story, Jesus led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, Henry Nouwen, who's a Dutch priest, in the 1980s, he wrote a book called In the Name of Jesus and its reflections on Christian leadership. Now, what is distinct about Christian leadership? Now, of course, in the Western world today, there is such an industry around this principle of leadership, of how can you lead in a better way? How can you win people, influence people, and gain new friends? And there are seven ways to do this. There's all sorts of literature and ways in which we have been taught and conditioned how to reach peak performance in our lives. Now, this, new, this city is basically birthed on this. I mean, we are a city of influencers, of power, of ingenuity, of strength. And here now, and he actually introduces the concept of like, well, what does Christian leadership look like? In a world that's so saturated about how you can be more effective in effectuating change, how, what does Christian leadership have to say that's so different? Now, this introduction of this idea of Christian leadership, you'll see over and against the values of even our city, because so much of our city is awash in these values of up and to the right, of power, of influence, of doing things so that you can make a name for yourself. I mean, even church world, the industry that I'm in, is so saturated with this idea of how um, growth and being great and wonderful and renowned Even as a pastor, I feel this pressure that our church needs to be a certain way and look a certain way and have this kind of clout and influence. I remember when we were in the starting process of starting our church, uh, the first church that we started was in Astoria, Queens. And I remember one of the first books that was given to me by a a coach on like how to start a church. The the first book that was given to me was this book called How to Break the 200 Barrier. Isn't that interesting? And I remember like getting this book. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. And the book was basically like, after three years, your church needs to grow beyond 200 people. And this is how you do it. And I remember reading this and I was like, oh, wow, this is so, so good, so helpful for me. And then I would read in the scriptures and the scriptures would basically, the great commandment is love the Lord your God and love others as you love yourself. And I'm like, I think I like this 200 barrier book more, you know, like this is what I'm about. Yeah. Because what happens, like even in church world, what creeps into the heart of even myself as a pastor, I'm so ashamed to say this, and I'm sure this doesn't happen in your industry, right? It's all about uh, leveraging power, making a name for oneself, growing as a community in influence and climbing up the ladder. And so now when he, when he writes this book in the 1980s, he's basically offering a vision that's different. And it's based on this passage in Matthew chapter four of the temptations that Jesus go, goes through. Look at what now has to write in his book. He says this, it seems easier for many of us. Now, again, he's writing in the 1980s to be God than to love God. Easier to control people than to love people. Easier to own life 
than to love life. We have chosen power over love, control over the cross, being a leader over being led. Wait a minute, but all of us are leaders. We're supposed to effectuate change in our homes, in our companies, and in our industries. We are all influencers. And now and introduces this phrase where he says, no, 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 that's not the vision of what maturity looks like. Uh, so much of today in the world, the people who are influential and powerful, especially in our city, the people that we look up to and esteem as being people of great maturity are people who have great LinkedIn profiles or are, who are influencers on Instagram or TikTok or whatever else. But look at what Nowen writes. He says, Jesus has a different vision of maturity. It is the ability and willingness to be led where you would rather not go. And here Jesus is, the son of God, who's willing to be led. And now it introduces this phrase from leading to actually being led. To being a people of humility and surrender. Who instead of being people who are muscling up and flexing on others, which our city is so known for, to being a people who can humbly follow the spirit even sometimes where we would rather not go. That's the invitation for us. Now, notice in these temptations that we're going to explore, these temptations, some of them to me, I'm like, are those temptations really? Those just seem like natural things that Jesus should say yes to. But notice the first temptation, for instance. Look at what happens. It says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I mean, I'd be hungry. 40 days and 40 nights... Of course, he's a human being. He's hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, I remember reading this as a temptation. I'm like, yeah, that, that's actually a reasonable, that's actually not a temptation. That's reasonable advice. I mean, come on. Jesus has the power to turn this stone into, into bread. He's hungry. He's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. That's a very base human need, is bread. Why in the world is this a temptation? And yet notice how Jesus responds. Jesus responds, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, part of me is like, Jesus, uh, that is an incredible statement and a renunciation of this kind of temptation. To me, it's not a temptation. In fact, as a utilitarian kind of thinker who thinks about leveraging every gift that you have, you've got the power to make this stone bread. You are hungry. Leverage that power. And yet Jesus says no. And he does so. Why? So that he would remain dependent and hungry. In other words, so that he would remain human. So that he would not take this time to become super human, but instead so that he could actually embrace his vulnerable hunger. You see, the first temptation is a temptation to become self-sufficient. Now, here's the thing. Self-sufficiency in the scriptures, there's tons of passages about becoming self-sufficient and and standing on one's own feet. But see, this temptation that Jesus is renouncing is the temptation to somehow be super self-sufficient, to be someone who ignores my own humanity who ignores my own hunger, my own neediness, my own dependence. 
Now, as New Yorkers, we are used to being superhuman, super self-sufficient. Why? Because we have a smartphone, and we know how to use Google and YouTube and TikTok, and the list goes on and on. And we are New Yorkers. Uh, this past week, you know, we were watching the Super Bowl with a bunch of people. There was someone there from Kansas City, and uh, truth be told, I was rooting for the 49ers. Uh, someone is cheering, but the Niners lost. And, uh, and so we were watching, and then, you know, Kansas City wins at the end, and I was like, oh, wow, I was disappointed, right? There's like a moment of disappointment. And then immediately my thought, this thought is what enters my mind. I'm like, I mean... Let's just give Kansas City the championship. It's Kansas City. Like, yeah, they can have Patrick Mahomes, the greatest of all time. We're still New York City. You know, like that, that, was, that was a thought that came to my mind was like, yeah, whatever. Kansas City won a championship. They'll never be New York City. I mean, that, that was the thought that came to mind. Now, some of you, I realize you're visiting from out of town. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. <laughs> To the greatest city in the world. Uh, but I mean, this is kind of the mentality of a New York. I mean, this is this what we think. We're just kind of like, yeah, we're, well, okay, okay, you have your championships. You'll never have New York. And we are New York. I mean, th- th- this is this whole self-sufficient, we're better, we're smarter, more successful, we're wealthier. We don't need anyone else. And Jesus is renouncing this mentality that somehow we're supposed to be super self-sufficient. We're supposed to ignore our humanity and our vulnerability. I mean, I read this passage. I'm like, Jesus, what's the big deal? (laughs) You're supposed to be strong. He says, no, I'm going to remain weak. I'm going to remain vulnerable. I'm going to remain hungry and dependent. See, but the second temptation is is like it. Look at what it says. It says, Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, again, I read this temptation. I'm like, Jesus, come on. The devil is challenging you. You need to show this devil who's boss. I mean, he's like, yeah, why don't you go ahead, jump off and have the angels rescue you. This is what the scriptures say. And a part of me is like, yeah, Jesus. In fact, you should go to a higher point on the temple. That's what you should do. And you should basically jump off so that right at the bottom, angels could pick you up and carry you. You can see how deeply I've been shaped by a different value system. I mean, I look at this and I'm like, geez, what's the big deal? Show, show the devil who's boss. It's the devil, by the way. It's not like you're showing someone else who's boss. It's the devil. Show them how strong you are. And yet even then, Jesus says, I'm not gonna fall under that temptation. Now, what is the temptation? The first temptation was this idea of self-sufficiency. The second temptation is this temptation to somehow be spectacular. So just how amazing I truly am. And Jesus basically says, no, I will not be spectacular. I'm going to remain dependent, vulnerable, human. I'm not going to test God. In fact, 
I'm going to renounce that. <laughs> There's a part of me that's like, Jesus, you got to show the devil who's boss. You got to flex on him right now. This is the moment. I mean, and this is what our city is all about. I remember when we, the first church that we started as Hope Church was actually in Astoria, Queens. And we never in our wildest dreams thought that we would start a church in Manhattan. Uh, Through a number of different circumstances, we ended up starting a church in Manhattan. I wasn't supposed to be the one to lead the church in Midtown. Um, Someone else was supposed to lead the church. And our team had collectively discerned that, you know, Drew, you should be the one to lead this church in Manhattan. And you got to understand, I had lived in Queens and worked in Queens for most of my life. And so I was like, Manhattan? No way. Like, I don't fit there. Like, Queens is my borough, you know? And so that was kind of the way that I thought about things. And I remember when I finally said, okay, we'll start this church in Midtown, uh, someone came to me and basically said, hey, if you're going to be a pastor in Midtown Manhattan, um, you need to start dressing better. (laughs) And I was like, what's wrong with the way I dress? I mean, that was initially what I thought about, you know? But... And he was basically saying, yeah, you know, Manhattan people, they're just a little fancier than Queens, you know? Um, They just dress nicer. And if you want to be relevant, you just need to dress nicer. And I remember feeling like so insecure. Like, what is this borough? (laughs) I haven't stopped dressing the same way, by the way. Uh, just, Just some jeans and... Some sketchers and and uh, even in the world, even in the Christian world, even in the now I know this is not in your industry the temptation to be spectacular, but I just want you to know like that it's a wash in everything. The values of the world to be self-sufficient, to be spectacular, to have this gleaming image, and Jesus renounces that. Now. In and of themselves, there's all sorts of spectacular stories in the scriptures. There's miracles that are done, displays of amazing displays of God's power. There's passages that that teach us to hunger and thirst for God in such significant ways, to see God do immeasurably more than all we can imagine. So there's spectacular things in scripture. See, but when self-sufficiency or when being spectacular become the very thing that we pursue more than God, see, this is what Jesus is saying no to. He's saying no. I'm being led rather than leading. Which brings us to the third temptation. Look at what it says. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to, to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Now, this is the only temptation where I'm like, okay, Jesus, I kind of understand why you're going to rebut the devil on this. I mean, he's asking you to bow down to him. You're not going to do that, Jesus. And Jesus, so in some ways, this temptation, it's like, okay, this finally makes sense. But see, what is it? There's self-sufficiency. There's renouncing self-sufficiency. There's renouncing uh, being spectacular. There's also renouncing having the God of power, of being the God who is above and more powerful and controlling all things. You know, as I was just thinking about this whole idea, I mean, this is the world that we live in. So much of the ways that we've been conditioned, whether it's in New York or the world that we're just kind of awash in, it's to be in power, in control, not to surrender your rights, your desires, your wishes, and all those things. And there's nothing against that. There's nothing against leveraging power in a good way or leveraging control in good ways, in helpful ways, in redemptive ways. 
See, it's when my own power, my own control becomes the God that I thirst after, becomes the way that I want to live my life because I'm the one who's in charge. Look at what Nowen writes when he reflects on this. Nowen writes, while efficiency and control are the great aspirations of our society, the loneliness, isolation, lack of friendship and intimacy, broken relationships, boredom, feelings of emptiness and depression, and a deep sense of uselessness fill the hearts of millions of people in our success-oriented world. Now one was writing this in the 1980s. I mean, isn't it true? All the empty promises of success and power and controlling your life, and, and yet we live in as fragmented a world that's ever existed, where boredom and depression rule the day. Some of us, you've entered into this space, and even now you have been thirsting and hungering for some sort of significance and meaning and power and control. And what if today the invitation for you was just to surrender? You know what's interesting is there's a common theme throughout the temptations. Check this out. Look at what it says. In the three temptations, look at how the devil approaches Jesus. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit and into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said this, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. You see what the devil's doing? He's basically going at him and basically saying, is this who you think you are, your identity? If you are the son of God, I mean, he's dropping down. He's trying to flex on Jesus here. Now look at the second temptation. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, there it is again, a challenge to the identity of Jesus. He said, throw yourself down. Now it doesn't appear in the third one, but again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, son of God, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Now, notice what the devil is doing. To see, the devil, each of these temptations, what it's getting at, it's getting at the core of what Jesus thinks about himself, about his, his own central identity. If you are the son of God, you better prove it. And here's what it, it reveals. It reveals that oftentimes, like, our succumbing to the temptations towards either self-sufficiency or being spectacular or being in power or control, so much of it stems from our own sense or security of identity. And what the devil does is basically like, if you are the son of God, is that who you say you are? Yeah, well, you better prove it to me. Show me who you are. Now, here's what's so fascinating about this, because Jesus is able to withstand the torrents of temptations that come to him. He's able to say, no, no, no. I'm going to, instead of leading, I'm going to be led. Now, how is Jesus able to do this? Well, the passage immediately before the temptations in the wilderness, it's a story of Jesus being baptized. And notice in the passage of Jesus' baptism, when Jesus actually goes into the water and comes up out of the water, look at what it says. It says, a voice from heaven of God the Father says over Jesus, before Jesus has done anything in his ministry, he hasn't done any miracles, taught with great authority. In the beginning of Jesus' ministry, before he goes into the wilderness, there's a voice from heaven, from God the Father, 
that says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And it's carrying the mark of a son who's deeply loved by a good dad. He has such a security in who he is. He doesn't need to give way to self-sufficiency. He doesn't need to succumb to being spectacular. He doesn't need to fall into the temptation of power or control. But somehow being deeply rooted in the Father's love. He's able to say no to the temptations and the value systems of the world. I mean, isn't it true for us, whenever our identity ends up going a bit askew, whether it's because our identity is so kind of swallowed up in our performance, how well we do at work, or how well we're doing in a relationship, or whether we're in that romantic relationship that we're in, and as a result, our succumbing to temptations goes up and down because we are so awash in the different opinions of other people or our performance. I mean, this happens all the time. When my insecurities get the best of me, when I am not deeply secure in my own identity and the Father's love, I mean, that's when, of course, I want to prove myself to other people. That's when, of course, I want to show you that I am self-sufficient, that I have made it. And look at what I've done on Instagram. And look at who I am on LinkedIn and let me flex on you in my workplace, or let me flex on you in these different... It's, it's always out of this deep sense of insecurity when my identity has somehow become awash in the same value systems of the world. And yet what Jesus demonstrates to us is this deep abiding in the Father's love. He's able to say no to the temptations of the world because he's so rooted in the love of God. Look at what Nowen writes. He says, I am telling you this because I am deeply convinced that the Christian leader of the future is called to be completely irrelevant and to stand in this world with nothing to offer but his or her own vulnerable self. That is the way Jesus came to reveal God's love. The great message that we have to carry as ministers of God's word and followers of Jesus, is that God loves us, not because of what we do or accomplish, but because God has created and redeemed us in love and has chosen us to proclaim that love as a source of all human life. I mean, isn't this the kind of rootedness and security that we're all longing for? To be a people whose identities are not marked by what other people think, or by what our performance tells us, but a people who are so deeply submerged under the love of God that we don't have to follow the ways of the world. We don't have to succumb to the fads or to the value systems of those around us, but instead we can stay so deeply immersed in the love of God that we can be a people of utter surrender, a people who go from leading and muscling up and showing how great and powerful we are to people who are being led.
being led in the way of Jesus, being led to say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I want to follow you. How many of us today, is it self-sufficiency? Is it being spectacular? Is it having your own power and control over your own life? What are the ways, what are the temptations that now have begun to end up shaping us more than we would like to care to admit? And what are the ways in which Jesus is inviting you and me and all of us to be a people who instead of leading are actually being led? Instead of functioning out of our own insecurity are actually deeply rooted in the secure love of a father who loves us who cares for us before we accomplish anything.